So when we moved to Abilene, Texas, believe it or not, we were in Abilene 10 years pastoring a church, which eventually became Grace Point Church. But I was a senior pastor there, and we moved there, and the first day we went into Abilene, I think I'd probably forgot something. So we stopped at J.C. Penney's, and we went to, in the mall there, and we kind of popped up there with my socks and, and uh, to the little girl that was working. And she said, hey, how's it going? I said, it's going great. How's it going for you? She's like, well, it'll be better when I get off work. You know, I said, oh, okay, we've got one of those. So I said, well, I, mean, I hope it's going good for you. I hope you get off soon. I'm trying to make conversation. I said, oh, by the way, we're moving here to Abilene. She goes, why would you want to move to Abilene? with probably less enthusiasm than I just did. I'm just trying to move it along. And that was how we were greeted in Abilene, Texas. And it seemed like everybody we met was bummed out about being in Abilene. You talk to military personnel, Dias Air Force Base, they were acting like they were sentenced to Abilene, Texas. Well, I have to serve my time in Abilene and then I get to go to Randolph or somewhere else. And so it was really interesting. We found very quickly that there was a very, very negative critical spirit in everybody we talked to. And then I went to my first minister's meeting in Abilene. And uh, there were about 35 angry pastors gathering together to bash Abilene. And here I am, new kid on the block. I, I, we haven't even packed our boxes yet. In fact, I haven't even blown the lights out of my ceiling. That's a whole other story. Tell you for another day. I almost electrocuted myself. But I hadn't even blown anything up or done anything. We just got there. And these guys are just going off on Abilene about how bad it is. And so I raised my hand. Here I go. Hoof and mouth disease. I said, um, I said, I've only been here a short time, but I don't think I've met a single person in Abilene, Texas who's happy about Abilene, Texas. And I said, you guys, you're the pastors. And if you're down on Abilene, I can't even imagine how your congregations feel. Can you imagine the temperature of that room? It was like the barometric pressure just shifted. I mean, you could feel the atmosphere. And I wasn't trying to bash. I was just like going, Can I said this. I said, you know, it might be awesome if we started speaking life over our city and talking positively about our community because words are powerful. They're like power containers. And I said, wouldn't it be amazing if all of us as lead pastors started to tell our congregations how amazing our city is? I wonder what would happen. Well, you can imagine the temperature in the room by the time I finished that speech. And the guy who was leading, who became a very dear friend of mine, David McQueen, Beltway Park Baptist Church, was about, it's now Beltway Park in Abilene. David looked at me and he goes, Jimmy, you're right. You're right. And he said, in fact, get emotional thinking about it. He goes, I repent. I repent for my words over Abilene. And he did. He repented right there in front of everybody. A couple other guys followed suit. Turned into a beautiful moment. And that began my 10-year, not sentence, but blessed to be there, Amen. run in Abilene, Texas. Every time I got in the pulpit on a Wednesday or Sunday, I said, isn't Abilene amazing? Isn't this town awesome? And listen, when I first started saying it, no one was amen in me. And then I had an amen in church. I mean, we were multicultural. They amened everything except that. I had church mamas who would stand up on the front row and say, you better preach. <laughs> but not when I said that. 
And it took, I was like a battering ram saying, isn't it amazing living here? I was just driving in today. I saw the hills over there behind Merkel and, and over there behind uh, Buffalo Gap. And look, did you know the edge of the hill country comes right up to our doorstep? That's the hill country right there. We were almost there. It just took us another five, seven years to get here. We were almost there. We could see the hill country from Abilene. From the I-20, you could see it. And I just spoke life and spoke life. So then I got this crazy idea as I'm prone to do. And I thought, I, you know, it's not just good enough to start here with my church. I need to, I need to talk to the city. <laughs> so I scheduled an appointment with Mayor Grady Barr. Of course, the secretary, which, you know, we would affectionately call the gatekeeper, <laughs> she's like, why do you as a pastor want to meet with Mayor Grady Barr? And I said, well, ma'am, I just want to, want to get to know him. I'm new in town. And so I showed up for the meeting, and the gatekeeper met me at the gate door and said, basically, now, why did you want to meet with Mayor Barr? Apparently, some pastors had been showing up mad. And I just showed up with a smile on my face. I said, well, ma'am, I just want to pray for him, and I want to bless him. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. what? So in West Texas, we say, calf looking at a new gate. It's like, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I just want to. I want to encourage him. Thank him for what he's doing for our city. She goes, well, come on in. Come on. I'll, 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 get, I'll get him. He's right inside. So she escorted me in there. I sat down with Mayor Grady Barr. We had a great conversation. I said, Mayor Barr, I, said, I have to say something. I said, I'm not here to complain about anything. In fact, I'm just here to bless you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to lift you up. And, and I would like to know how can our church pray for you in your office and how can the church pray for our city because we believe that words are powerful and that prayers are powerful and then I said this to him I said sir you carry the civil government on your shoulders and you have authority in that realm I said but I carry spiritual government on my shoulders and I have authority in that realm and I said I think we should work together and what could happen if we brought our governance, our authority together, and we began to speak over our city. He was blown. He was like, okay, this is the weirdest meeting I've ever had. First of all, he's not mad. He's a pastor, and he's not mad. And he's a pastor, and he's in jeans and sandals. So he's, that's a whole other deal. So I had this amazing, and I said, sir, you've been in leadership for so many years. I could learn from you. Would you mind meeting with me once a month? I want to pray for you, and I'm asking you to mentor me in leadership. And I actually intentionally sat lower than him in the seat. You know, posturing is everything, folks. Right. And I honored his authority. I literally <laughs> slunk down just so I'd be shorter than him. Because I wanted to honor him. The Bible says we're to honor those in leadership. Yeah. Honor those who are carrying weight like that. And I just wanted to honor him. That began a friendship. And I met with him once a month, sometimes more, if he wanted to meet more. And I would go in, and sometimes I'd take scripture, like I took Proverbs 11, 11, which says this, By the blessing of the upright, the city prospers. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn apart. Did you hear that? This is a biblical principle, that we can actually bless a city with our mouths. We have within us powerful words that we can declare and shift atmospheres over areas. By the blessing of the upright, the city prospers. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn apart. And let me tell you something. I've been talking to a lot of people who were tearing it apart with their mouths. 
And so I told Mayor at Barr, I said, we should just start a blessing campaign. We should find out what's right with Abilene. I'm sure we can find some stats. Anyway, after that first meeting, he rolls out the city plans. He goes, we have flood issues right here. Could you take this back to your church and pray for us? And he says, then I'm going to implement a smoking ban, and I know that's going to be a battle. And he said, would you pray for that? And over the time that we spent together, he would just give me things after, stuff after stuff, item after item to take back and pray. And I'd come back and say, we prayed. How are things going? And I would ask him about it. He was just blown away that I even cared. That opened all kinds of crazy doors. But here's what my goal was. I wanted to awaken his eyes. I wanted to open his eyes and awaken him to the goodness that was already there in our city. Right. After about a year, some, something interesting happened. Annette and I were driving down Treadway Avenue in Abilene, if you know Abilene. Driving down Treadway. Scenic Treadway. It's like an industrial district. And we were driving down there, I saw this big, big bulletin board, and it said, what's right with Abilene? And then it was like, did you know, with a question mark, and then it had statistics of things about Abilene. Went to another part of the city and had another did you know, and it was a different. He had done a billboard campaign of what's right with Abilene. And over the atmosphere of the city, he took that scripture literally and was speaking life over our city. I went back to me, I said, did you do that? He goes, I sure did. He was all proud of himself. Let me tell you something. His whole mentality shifted. His, why? Because he was awakened to a part of his destiny as a leader was to speak life, bring life, leak life, be life Amen. to his community. Love that man. In fact, after a year, I invited him to preach in my church. I said, Mayor Barr, would you, would you come preach? Come share your heart with us. I'll never forget it. He preached on grit Faith and determination. I remember all three of his points. And he was awkward. He wasn't a preacher. He was a politician. But he gave a great speech, a rousing speech. And our people loved it and loved him. And it began, just, it just continued that friendship. I'll finish my story with Mayor Grady at the end. What we're talking about now is we enter into a new series. We're going to walk through and take a journey through the book of Ephesians. One of my favorite books of the Bible. Of course, I say that about every book. But it's, right now, that's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And we're going to walk through that book because there are so many things that the book of Ephesians addresses. You know, we went through Colossians and did this series called Identified uh, throughout the summer. We did six weeks in that. And what we found is that the letter to the Colossians was written from a Roman prison by the Apostle Paul while he had been on a missionary journey, he had planted that church. Now, Ephesus, the church there, had also been planted. By the way, those were both in the vicinity of Asia Minor. We would call that modern-day Turkey today. And as he was there, he was put in prison because the, the hammer of Rome had come down. He was thrown into prison. And while he was in prison, on house arrest, which means they could come and go, not him, but his uh, Paul, uh, Timothy, Silas, those who accompanied him, Luke, could come and go, and they would take letters to the churches to address issues. In Colossians, we found out that there was a heresy. It was very much a cult, and there were things going on that were just dark. Ephesians is not that book. Ephesians is a book of life. Ephesians is a book addressing topics and encouraging the church. Apparently, Ephesus was very close to Paul's heart. In fact, he spent two years in Ephesus during the middle of a journey. So his journey stopped... And he knew that if he could win Ephesus, he could win Asia. And by the way, the Bible says in Acts chapter 19 that all of Asia 
heard the gospel all of Asia because of his work in Ephesus. So when he writes the letter to Ephesus, he's not correcting anybody. He's not having to deal with an issue. He's actually bringing life. And the book of Ephesians is a book of life and it's a book of destiny. So let's dive in together. You ready to go? Let's do this. Let me give you a definition, a definition of awaken. It means to become fully conscious, alert, or aware of something. And I love this. To stir up. See, the goal here is to stir you up towards your destiny because God has a plan for your life. Let me say that again like an old school Baptist preacher. God has a plan for your life. Let me go over here and catch this side. God has a plan for your life. Did you know that? And I, we're going to read a verse later. His plans are good, by the way. His plan is good. It's exciting. He has a plan. I want to stir you up. I want to awaken you to God's destiny on your life because you are made for more than what you can see right in front of you right now. You are made for more. Turn to your neighbor and say, He is so talking about you. You are made for more. More. There is more to this life. To, qu <laughs> to quote an old Stephen Curtis Chapman song, there is more to this life than living and dying. There you go. There's more. There's more. Do you want the more? Yeah. Come on, let's get in on the more. To stir up, and I love the last piece, to activate. Part of my goal is to plug you in and activate you. I want to get you plugged into the source, Jesus himself, and get you activated in your destiny. Now, let's dive into this. Verse 1, Ephesians chapter 1. You've got the backdrop. Remember, context is king. You've got the backdrop. Let's run. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. The word apostle literally means missionary. It means sent one. The apostle Paul was the missionary Paul. In fact, it was a part of his mission and part of the three or four missionary journeys where this was written from a prison cell. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. He doesn't address every church like this, but he says, you're faithful. You're faithful and you're holy. And look what he says. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what happens. He's about to... He's about to go 12, 11 verses without a period, sentence, or comma. I mean, literally, or a period or a comma. No, this is the biggest run-on sentence in the Bible. Now, we came in later, as we've translated from various texts and whatnot, and we've added punctuation. You do know the original Bible in Koine Greek was not, had no punctuation whatsoever. The whole Bible's a run-on sentence. But here it is. I mean, he is going to run on to something where there is no natural break. It's like he's just... He's writing as fast as you can. You ever been inspired? You ever been doing something and it's like you couldn't stop? Maybe it's a conversation you look up, you're in beta mode, and it's like, oh my gosh, I, beta waves are running here. I just talked for an hour and didn't even know what I said. You ever been there? I think this was Paul right here. He gets so excited about what has been purchased for you and me in and through Jesus Christ. Let's run through this. This is amazing. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look what he says. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Wow. We could go home right now. But we're not. This is amazing. This is powerful. We are united with Jesus. In other words, he's in us. We're in him. He's given his life to us 
So he can literally live his life through us. We are united with him. The day you think you can't live out the Sermon on the Mount is the day he says, finally, you got it figured out. You can't do this. I'm here to do it in you, with you, and through you. I'm here to co-operate in your life and with you. I'm here to co-labor with you. We'll do it together. That's what Jesus has for you. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, what we're going to find out in chapter 2 is that you and I have been raised up together and seated in Christ in heavenly places. You know where that puts you and me? At the right hand of the Father, right here, right now. You're going to, wait a minute, my body's here. Yeah, it is, but let me tell you where you are in Christ. You're at the right hand of the Father, seated in Jesus. You know where that puts you? You know where it puts your circumstances? Man, if you could just get this. This puts your circumstances under your feet. Amen. You're not under your circumstances. You're over your circumstances because you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you've received all spiritual blessings. Oh, Lord Jesus, awaken us to this truth. Awaken us. It'll put a pep in your step. You'll smile. You'll even give me a courtesy laugh on my bad jokes. <laughs> kind of like that. Because you'll be so full of joy, you can't help it. Oh, man. United with Christ. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. Do you remember the book of Colossians? We did it in the summer. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 says this. He's made us to be holy, blameless, and above reproach in His sight. Jesus Himself has presented us before God holy, blameless. Remember what the word above reproach means? Unaccusable. In the Old Testament, the Scripture tells us this, that a curse without cause cannot find its mark. Did you know that you are unaccusable before the throne of God? Did you know there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Unaccusable, no condemnation, holy, blameless, above reproach. That is how He sees you. And it even says, without fault in His eyes. Did you know your Heavenly Father sees you without fault? Some of you are arguing with me in your mind, but you're going to have to argue with the text of the Bible to get away with that. That's how much God loves you. That's how crazy He is about you. But ooh, don't we wallow in. And I say we because I'm in this with you. I'm not up here for any other reason than God's called me to this. I get it the same way you do. I wrestle with it the same way you do. I struggle the same way you do. And here's what I know. That God loves us so much that even on our worst day, when we are wallowing and self-loathing. And when we are wallowing in self-hatred and don't think you don't do it. Here's how it looks. Something happens. You make a mistake and you just beat the snot out of yourself. And you do it through words. You say, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. Does it sound familiar? I'm an idiot. I can't believe I did that. What were you thinking? Does that sound familiar to anybody or is this just me? We all do that. It's a form of self-hatred. And let me tell you what happens. The enemy of our souls leverages that and says, you sure are. Yeah. You know what he does? He creates an agreement. And he says, yeah, you are that. Oh, yeah. You're all that and more. In fact, 
I'll just bring up some echoes from the past and some tapes from the past because there's more to this and the enemy will fuel that fire. And by the time you're done, you are so beat down and you're so, and you completely forget who you are in Jesus Christ. But let me tell you the truth. You ready for some truth? You ready for some good news? You can shake that off and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. My Bible, t wait a minute, devil. Wait a My Bible tells me this. That I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because I am united with Christ. I am blessed, devil. I am united with Jesus. You want to mess with me? You're going to have to mess with my bodyguard. You're going to have to mess with the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to mess with God himself. You're going to have to mess with Jesus. You want some of that? Do you realize the only leverage the enemy has on your life is a lie? The Bible says that the enemy has been, the keys of the kingdom have been snatched from him and he's been detoothed and defanged. Jesus won on the cross when he cried out to Telestai. It is finished. The battle has already been won. What are you fighting up against? You're fighting up against lies, untruths, the lies that bind us. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Wow. It's a mind blower. Predestination. I had a friend that was a primitive Baptist. He was convinced that he may or may not be one of the 153,000 that's going to make it. I said, Ronnie, I don't believe that. Not for a second. Because my Bible tells me, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm a whosoever. I don't care if I'm 153,000 or 1.5 billion. I've called upon the name of Jesus. I said, Ronnie, you're telling me I'm not saved. I may not make it. Why am I so alive? Why do I know that the night I prayed to give my heart to Jesus, it was like somebody cut a backpack full of rocks off my back, and I could, I could have basically walked a foot off the ground. You're telling me that wasn't real? You're telling me that when I called upon the name of Jesus, it wasn't enough? That the name of Jesus is not enough to save? You're telling me that the scripture that says God is willing that none should perish but that all should come to repentance doesn't apply to all of us? I thank Ronnie. And you know why? He challenged me to the core and he made me tear my Bible apart to figure out what I believe. And you know what? I figured it out. Oh, I know in my knower. Do you know in your knower? You know what your knower is. It's that thing deep down in here. It's kind of intangible, but you know. You just know. And no devil in hell, no apologist, no eighth, no nothing. No, nobody from culture, no enemy of the cross can talk you out of it. I can't unknow what I know. I can't unlearn what I've learned. I can't unsee what I've seen. I cannot unexperience what I've experienced in Christ Jesus. That's right. That's what we have in Christ. Oh, well, there was our introduction. No, I'm not going to do this to you. Here's what we're going to do. Go to verse 11, please. That would be slide 11. Paul just lays out this incredible inheritance we have in Jesus. He lay, and he's like, he's, he's on a rant. He's, he's just full-blown. He, he's not stopping. He's, he's just riding. And he says this, furthermore. 
And there's more. So that would be verse 11 on the screen. Go to verse 11. Furthermore, because we are united in Christ, there it is again, we have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plus to his plan. Remember, he chose those who would be in Christ. He didn't choose you to be in Christ. He said those who are in Christ are now those who have been chosen. You are now brought in. He was speaking at first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So you've got to be careful about turning a doctrine of predestination into the thing you build a denomination on. Because context is king. And look what he says here. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. So the, he said God's chosen people, their goal, their whole point was they would bring praise and glory to Him in a relationship. Now, look what happens. Jeremiah 29, 11. Remember I mentioned earlier that God has a plan for your life? In fact, I made it the whole stage. You, there's a plan on your life. You have a destiny. We're destiny, destination. Listen to this. Jeremiah 29, 11. Context is king. The Israelites had been sacked by Babylon and they were taken off into 70 years of captivity going, wait God, this was the land you gave us and now we've been taken into captivity? Where are you, Lord? 70 years. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, others came in and gave them hope. Jeremiah here says, this is what's going to happen. Speaking for the Lord to them, for I know the plans I have for you. Did you know God has a plan for you? Yes, I'm talking to you. And you who are arguing with me in your mind right now, I'm talking to you. God has a plan for your life. Now here's the good news. I want you to follow along. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. God has a plan. He has plans. They are plans for good and not for disaster. People who think and they live in a fatalistic mindset think, well, this is just my lot in life. It's just the way it is. That's fatalism. That means you've given up. You've decided this is the best it's ever going to be. I better not get my hopes up because I'll just be disappointed. You know what? That's a Pavlov's response to the enemy taking you down every time you get a little bit excited about God. And the enemy will hit you and hit you and hit you and train you to think that every time I get excited about Jesus, I come under warfare. Well, let me give you some good news and some bad news. You're already under warfare. You the day you gave your heart to Jesus, you invited a war into your life. <laughs> think about it. My wife reminded me of this the other day. We started off in violence. The first moment out of the mother's womb, what happened to you? You got spanked. Welcome to the world, SWAT. Corporal punishment. When she told me that, that went off like a bomb in me. I, no wonder we're so messed up. The first thing happened, oh, mommy, slap. Wah! Then everybody's clapping. Wah, they're crying. Woo, we just whooped the kid. And he's, woo. No wonder we need therapy. Most of our lives. Started that way. Don't get me started about sugar water and teething. I mean, let's just that'll take us down another rabbit hole. But I'm telling you, we started off on the wrong foot. No wonder we need Jesus. 
His plans are for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Now, 13, and now you Gentiles also have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. All right, he's like, so it's not just God's people, the Jews. He's going, you Gentiles, you get it all too. You get the inheritance. You get everything he bought and paid for. You get everything. You get him in you, the hope of glory. You too. You get the same thing that the Jewish people get because you have been grafted in. You are now a part of this wonderful family. And when you believed in Christ, has anyone here believed in Jesus besides myself? When you believed in Jesus, when you believed in Christ, here's what he did. He identified you as his own. Woo! I'm a son. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint who sins, but I'm a son of the Most High God. I'm a son. I'm a son. I have the spirit of adoption whereby I cry out, Abba, Father. Amen. Spirit of adoption. When you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom He promised long ago. And let me show you what the Holy Spirit is or who the Holy Spirit is. Let's go to uh, verse 14 there. Just skip that. Ephesians 1.14, the Spirit is God's guarantee. It may say deposit. It's a guarantee, a deposit, that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. The very thing He said that the very purpose of the Jewish nation was for to His praise and glory. He says, oh, and by the way, you Gentiles, you get it all too. And here's your purpose. Here's your destiny to give Him praise and glory. I don't know about you, but it seems like the world's losing its mind right now. Am I the only one? Am I the only one who doesn't like to watch the news anymore? When the world is losing its mind, it's our finest moment. Whereas the church, we can say, oh, but God. And here's what we can say. But we've read the end of the book. We know how this turns out. And it may look bad right now, but let me tell you something. You don't have to live under those circumstances. You can supersede and live above the circumstances of this world. Why? Because you're a citizen of another kingdom. This is not our home, brothers and sisters. This isn't our home. And this is not all there is. Hear my heart in this. This is not all there is. Whatever you're going through, whatever's happening in your life, man, I'm sorry. I know it's rough. It's bad. It's dark. But let me tell you something. This isn't all it is. This isn't everything. You thinking about ending it? You think about cutting this thing short because you can't take it? Let me tell you something. It's going to turn for you. This isn't it. This is not the end. This is not the end. God has plans. Can you, with just a mustard seed of faith, grab hold of this? He has plans for me. His plans for a future and a hope. And they're good. They're not for disaster. If I cut this thing short, I'll miss the amazing goodness he had for me. Psalm 23, the very close. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. Amen. Pursue me all the days of my life. That's following me. I'm being pursued. I'm being watched. <laughs> Do you know you're being watched? By goodness and mercy. Yes. I, I just spirit of appeal to you. Can we awaken to our destiny in God? Amen. Can we awaken? Can you imagine if we all grabbed hold of just these few verses? Say, whoa! This is mine? This is mine. Oh, God. May I begin to act like I believe what this says. I'll land with Grady Barr. 
he calls me one day. He sounds really forlorn, and he, it wasn't normal for him to call me. I was always kind of the one, the kid beating on his door, you know. Coach me, coach me. He calls me one day. I'm shocked. It's Mayor Barr, and he says, Jimmy, it's time for me to retire. I was like, oh, I loved knowing him and he, just the friendship and just being able to see impact in the city. And he said, you're the first person I called. I haven't told a soul. He said, I would like for you to be there when I announce it to the press. I'm going to do a press conference. He said, would you be there as my pastor and my friend? Thank you, Lord. And you have to understand, I was just a kid. I, who am I? But I went in, and just through words of encouragement and blessing, his eyes were open to his own, his own destiny. He was awakened. And when he was awakened, it did something in the city that that city's never been the same. We go back, we don't even recognize the town. It's grown up so much. They've completely filled out the I-20 corridor, which was a pasture back then. And it's like, things have happened. Do I, do I, am I taking responsibility for this? No, but I think God can do things through us that if we would think a little bigger and dream a little, be, would be audacious enough to believe God, maybe some things we do could make a difference in a whole community. And I went to that press conference. He was just so sweet. And he even introduced me. I'm like this little guy and all these press people are going, who's this? Why is he here? And he introduced me as his pastor and asked me to pray for him. All I did was show up. All I did was bless. All I did was lift him up. All I did was encourage. And it changed things. Oh, what God could do through one man, one woman, one teenager, one student, one child whose heart is wholly his. Let's pray. Father, we honor you. Lord, may we be that one father, that one mother, that one man, that one woman, that one student, that one person who would completely sell out, who would completely go all in, who would push their chips all to the middle of the table and say, I'm all in with Jesus. What do you want to do? What could you do through one person completely, wholly, totally his? God, give us grace to awaken to our destiny, to awaken to what we already have. Open Spiritual awakening is not something coming. It's something that already is, and we just awaken to it. Awaken us, Lord. Open our eyes that we may see the inheritance we have right in front of us, the blessing we have right in front of us, what we have in Jesus Christ, living his life in us, right in front of us. Open our eyes. Holy Spirit, I'm asking as a favor, would you open our eyes? Would you awaken us? Stir us up. Activate us. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have an amazing week. Go make a difference. Amen.